Well, <coughs> I'll tell you, I, I, you know, I, I got to be honest, I wasn't sure how that was going to work. <coughs> don't, don't leave yet, Bob. I wasn't sure how that was going to work because I heard bongos and Amazing Grace and a piano one time. And boy, I did, but Bob, bass players after your job, son, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Good job. That was great. Uh, last week, um, we looked at, as you know, we've been in the book of Proverbs and have been coming through it now for quite a while. And last week, we looked at one of the most practical verses in all of the Bible. And, um, there, you know, there's all the verses in the Bible are incredible, and they all have their place and their meaning, and they all, you know, are in levels of priority in our lives. But uh, there are certain verses that just say something that is so profound and so true in one little sentence that it's, uh, it's unbelievable. And certainly last week, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8, is such a verse where it says, Better is little with righteousness than great revenue without right. It's certainly what I call a standalone verse that literally, as we talked about last week, literally dismantles 99% of Christianity today. Uh, the great, I, I want to show you today um, and give you an idea how, where this idea came from, this false concept that the bigger something is and the more expensive it costs, the more God must be in it when it comes to Christianity. You know, history, studying history has taught me, has taught me many good lessons. And um, an observation of history and just a, and a quick glance uh, of ancient history will reveal that all false religions, all religions that don't have the truth, that are trying to stay alive by uh, other means than preaching the Word of God, you're going to find that all false religions of the past, it held the same idea. When Solomon said that there's nothing new under the sun, uh, he knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, in history, you're going to find that the more grandioso uh, you make something, the better it looked like it must be the real thing. An example of that would be the Roman Empire. Well, we are called Christians, and in Acts chapter 11, the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. Most people don't know where the word came from. The word came from our enemies, Rome. And the word Christ means, or Christian means little Christ. And the Roman Empire had such a disdain for Christianity. And the reason why they did is because the Roman Empire had over 600 gods. I mean, you have the Acropolis where they had all of the gods on statues and on every little hill. You know, there was a bathtub half buried with a god in it, you know. And it was, it was just incredible. And they looked at Christianity and their grandioso concept of religion and belief one Christianity that had one little God. And they thought that they were right and they were better because they were bigger. You will find that in history, you have what has been commonly called the seven wonders of the ancient world. Seven spectacular feats of man's ability to create something to literally glorify himself and, and what he believed in. Back around the 2nd century B.C., a guy by the name of Antipath of Sidon, a guy by the name of Philo, and a few other Greek geeks, geek, Greeks, uh, <laughs> sat down and looked at the, all of these great wonders, and they came up with a list of seven wonders of the ancient world. The first one was the Great Pyramid of Giza. The second one was the Hanging, Bab Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The third one was the Statue of Zeus at Olympia. The fourth one was the Temple of Armenius at Ephesus. When you get over to Acts chapter 19, verse 35, it talks about the great goddess of Diana. She's connected with that. You have the fifth one was the great mausoleum at uh, uh, Holocarthius. You had the Colossus at Rhodus the, to the sun god, Helix. You had the Ferris, the seventh one at Alexandria, the great lighthouse. And all of these were great structures of incredible magnitude that made the list of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Yet every one of them 
Every one of them were built by man to illustrate that his belief system, his false religion that he had, was better and best because of this colossal statue or monument that they made. And you now see that, as I said, nothing new under the sun. Some things never change. Most of you don't know who Elmer Towns is. I'm even not sure he's even still alive. But Elmer, Elmer Towns was back in my day in the 60s and the 70s. He was connected some way with the Baptist Bible, uh, Bible College down in Springfield, maybe uh, at one time, anyhow. And uh, back in that heyday, everybody was building humongous churches. And he come out with a book that was called The Ten Top Sunday Schools in America. And Elmer would travel around and visit all these churches. Uh, he had a great job. And he'd visit all these churches and he'd take pictures. And then he would decide which was the greatest congregation in America, the top ten. And he put out a book. And everybody, everybody, you know, uh, got uh, in the church that morning. And a pastor standing there with Elmer. And up in the baptistry, somebody took a fisheye picture that just showed hundreds and hundreds of people. Well, later on, he, and every pastor on this planet was fighting to get into that book. Everybody wanted to have the top ten to be the biggest and the best. A little bit later on, a couple years later, he came out with the second ten best churches in America. And, uh, and then shortly after that, or a while after that, everything went to bottoms in Christianity. And these churches that were once were great, who wanted to get all kinds of people in, but never wanted to do anything with the Bible, they now were empty. And so Elmer didn't have enough material for a third book, so his third book was The Ten Most Beautiful Sanctuaries in America because the people were gone. It's a false concept that when you build something huge and big that God must be within it. Now in this life, you have the seven wonders that are man-made to make religion, man's religious experience great. But also you have with God in his work down through history found in the Bible, the seven wonders of the Bible. You see, the world has their seven wonders and God has his seven wonders. Today, most Christians and very frankly, most pastors are very educated. They could speak to the seven wonders of the ancient world. Very few of them could open up a Bible and they're oblivious to the seven wonders of God and his Bible down through history. The false religions of this world will always build something spectacular to cover up the fact that inside they're absolutely empty. No Bible, no truth. In medieval times, uh, you go back and find that uh, uh, in Europe today, you have some of the most incredibly beautiful Roman Catholic churches. Uh, the cathedral at Notre Dame, uh, the, the great uh, cathedral at Cologne or Reims, Germany. And they're absolutely spectacular, uh, spectacular. You see that back then, uh, when the towns were very small, they wanted the church to stand out in wherever you were in the city. You could see the steeple and the spires of those great churches. Uh, even today, those churches stand as some of the most incredible architecture that you've ever seen in your life. They wanted it to be that wherever you were in the city or before you even got into the city, their church was the most prominent structure that towered over every other thing in, in the city. You know, we have here at Old Paz Baptist Church uh, what I would consider an incredible counseling ministry. We simply call it the people ministry. Uh, it's a bunch of men and women who for three or year, four years now have met on a, on a monthly basis, and we specialize in the patterns of human nature. We started at the beginning of the Bible and have worked our way. I think we're in Second Chronicles now or Ezra or Esther somewhere in there. But we have come through and in that time period, we have looked at the cause and the effect of every problem that a man has through examining through the types, the concepts in the Bible, the stories in the Bible, every pattern of human nature of why man does what he does and gets into the situations that he does. Now, we charge nothing for our help. When you come in and sit down with somebody and they help you, uh, there's no bill that you get. We don't take credit cards here. We don't charge anybody for anything that we give them out of the Word of God. 
And uh, I, I do that because, honestly, folks, if I were to charge you for what we have, you couldn't afford it anyhow. And I've had people think that when they find out that our counseling is free, they think that it must not be any good because there's no cost involved. The idea of $100 an hour makes it better. And these people have no idea that the price tag that was already paid on Calvary's cross for you and for me to have the truth. And I want to tell you something. I don't know how many pastors, I don't know how many churches, and I know that many of them do. Uh, Many of them charge for giving you help uh, when you come in. Most of them have a paid psychologist or psychiatrist on staff. Most of them have a Christian therapist. And when you have problems, pastor doesn't see you. A staff guy, a preacher doesn't see you. They'll farm you out over to this guy, and you'll go in there and tell him, and he'll charge you $60, $70, $80 an hour. How do you charge somebody for something God gave you freely? And I've learned over the years, brother, that not all the crooks are in prison. Now, today... We want to look at Proverbs chapter 16, and we're going to kind of blend last week from this week, hence the introduction there to bring you back up to remembrance. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 16, verses 9, 10, 11. Now, let me read it for you. Verse 9 says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. The next verse says, A divine sentence is in the lips of the king, his mouth transgresseth not in judgment. And the last verse says, A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. Scott Heaton, would you stand up and, and from Lincoln and ask God's blessing on the service this morning, my friend? Amen. Now let's look at verse 9, and we're going to look at these one at a time here. Verse 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Now I've told you week after week, and I'll continue to tell you how absolutely simple the Bible is uh, when it comes to the Christian life and our walk with God. We like to make it a lot more complicated than it really is. The truth of the matter is there are simply two directions in life. You either go man's way through the devices of his heart, or you're going to go God's way through the direction of him inputting into your life. And you can see in an instant how this verse goes right along with what we have been talking about the last couple of weeks. The absolute incredible ability to discern what is of God and what is not of God in your life. And you're going to see this even clearer today as we come on down through these verses. The verse says that man's heart devises his way. Now, that's a good word, the word devises. I mean, it's not a good word. It's a bad word, but it's a good word to look at here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18 says that man's heart devises only wicked imaginations. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 talks about man's heart being desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. It's never a good connotation in the Bible when it comes to man in most cases. In most cases, it's always a reference to us putting together a plan to do what we want to do versus what God wants us to do. The verse is built around two great principles of life. First, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, where it says that there's many devices in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. We all have things in our hearts and many devices. Those devices are in man's heart for one reason. And that is to get him around the clear teaching of the Word of God. He sees what the Bible says. She sees what the Bible says. They do not want to do what the Bible says. So they devise something in their own heart. Many times it's religious. Many times it's good. Many times it's not. But it circumvents the very principles of the Word of God. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You either devise your own plan in life, 
or you'll follow the Lord's. Now look at the second part of that verse. But the Lord directeth his steps. It's no mystery to probably any of you that when you got saved, God has a direction that he wants you to go in life. And that direction will get revealed through the steps that you take. Now that's really a good word, the word steps. Building a relationship with God one step at a time. You hear me tell you all the time when you young Christians come in here, you know, and many of you are single and many of you want a desire to have a a partner in life and, uh, you know, what a better place to find a guy or a gal in a place that everybody loves the Lord. And uh, I always tell people that, you know what, when you first get saved or you first get into the Bible, you need to really be careful about relationships that you build because I want to tell you the truth. It's really almost impossible to build two relationships at the same time. And when you are a young man or a young lady and you find a gal and you want to learn the Bible, God is always going to get the short end of the stick because you can see him, you can see her, you can talk to them, you can visually look at them. God is a spirit and you have to worship him in spirit and truth. And in your young Christian life, you are not ready yet to be able to take one or the other and do both at the same time. Uh, it's, it's a step process, one step at a time, like steps up a ladder, like steps up a staircase that will get you to a, a different level, a higher level. The Christian life may be like running a race in Second or First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, but when you start out, you have to do it one step at a time. We have discipleship here. Discipleship is basically your first steps after you get saved. There's 10 lessons. It's really the first 10 steps of your Christian life once you make the decision to get saved. You take those steps as the Holy Spirit of God shows you the right direction He wants you to go. I don't know if you understand it or not, but John chapter 16, we talk about the Holy Spirit of God, a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit of God today. John chapter 16 is the definitive chapter in your Bible on the Holy Spirit of God. It lays out and explains exactly the seven functions of the Holy Spirit of God in your life and my life. And in John chapter 16, verse 8, you'll find the first three things the Holy Spirit of God does. The first thing it says, that the Holy Spirit of God reproves us for sin. That means that the first thing the Holy Spirit of God does is tell you and me we are sinners. The second thing in verse 8, it reproves the world of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, the first thing it does is shows you're a sinner. The second thing it does is show you that God is a holy God and a righteous God. And then verse, the, the third thing that it does in verse 8 reproves the world of sin. So it shows you that you're a sinner. It shows you that God is righteous and holy. And then it shows you the third thing, that someday God's going to judge you. Now, those first three things the Holy Spirit of God does are all about salvation. And that'll get you saved. Then the rest, the next four things, take place after you are saved. Verse 13, the fourth thing, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God will lead and guide you into all truth. The fifth thing, verse 13, is He will show you prophecy. The sixth thing in verse 14, that He glorifies Christ. He seeks no glory for Himself. And the seventh thing in verse 15, and here it comes, ready or not, the fifth thing, uh, seventh thing in verse 15 is the Holy Spirit of God will show you what's of God and what is not of God. And it simply all comes down to me and you lining up our hearts, our mind, our spirit to His way and not devising my own heart and going with God one step at a time. Again, many devices in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, thou shall stand. You know, we live in a period in history where everything is moving at an incredible speed. Years and years and years ago, around the turn of the century, it took two to three weeks to cross the Atlantic on a large ocean liner. Now you can go from New York to Europe in six or seven hours. It was a time when, uh, you know, uh, we, we rode on horses. And now Henry Ford came up with an automobile. 
That automobile wasn't fast enough, so they had to get faster ones and faster ones and faster ones and faster ones, and now you got a car that will have a speedometer on it go to 140 miles an hour. We want faster internet. You can get something that, you know, years ago, uh, computers were slow and filled up a room. Now you can have one on your phone, but it isn't fast enough. And every two or three months, they'll come out with another faster way because people want everything fast today. Used to be that you would send a letter to somebody. It took three days to get there, three days to get back. Now you just text somebody. It's got to be faster. Or you call them on the phone. I remember when you used to go into a, a restaurant and sit down and, and, and eat around the family time and, and you'd have waiters that come to you, and, uh, but society didn't want that, so they came up with fast food. McDonald's, Hardee's, Burger King. And that wasn't fast enough, so they put a drive through in so the fast food could be faster. You see commercials on TV. Here's a faster way to lose weight. Walmart, supposed to be the alternative to going to a mall someplace. And so you have checkout. You have what? 90 checkouts. Three of them are open, but you got 90 of them. And because the checkout wasn't fast enough, now they have a speed checkout, 20 items or less. That wasn't fast enough, so now you have a self-checkout where you can go check it out yourself. A lot of people, that isn't fast enough, so they just steal it. I mean, there's always somebody, always somebody arrested at the Walmart in Town. I go in one day to get water, you know, and all of a sudden, this front door blows open, and this guy comes shooting out, running down here, you know, and, he, and this fat cop's trying to catch him, you know, and there ain't no way. Run, get down in his car. The guy gets down there. You know, he tries to block the car. The guy pulls out. He's on a radio. Pretty soon, every Raytown cop car, I mean, all two of them, are chasing him <laughs> down the <laughs> You know, there was a time, and, I, and don't take this wrong. I'm looking around here, so I don't want to offend anybody. No. When I was a kid, we all hated brand-new blue jeans. They were stiff. They were thick. And it wasn't until your mom and washed them about six months that they really got comfortable. Faded out. But you know what? You go to the store today, you got Levi 504s, 503s, 67.70s, 4043s. I mean, they're all great. They're all different grades. of. You can choose your faded color. And if that isn't enough, you'll pay $75 for jeans where the knees are already ripped out. you got holes up one side and down the other. <laughs> Save your money. We have those down at Restart all the time. We want everything right now. Everything at our disposal. And all of this produces a society that has no patience to wait for anything. And that's, I guess that's fine in society. And I have no problem with you buying the jeans with the holes in them. I cut mine off, wear them for sure. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with a faster internet. I have no problem with fast food. I have no problem with any of that stuff. But I'll tell you where fast will never work when it comes to building your relationship with the Lord. It's one step at a time. One step at a time. Now look at verse 10 in Proverbs. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Now this is a verse, now this verse is a reference to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And there's two great things here based on a divine sentence. Number one, God's judgments are absolute and they're based on truth and not error. When he deals with a situation, in this case, a person who goes after his own way in his own heart and not after the way of God, he gets judged. And this judgment is not personal. God's not standing back looking if you just waiting for you to screw up so he can drop the hammer on you. 
It's not a personal thing. It's not based on anger. It's not based on any human emotion. His judgment is based on righteous truth by a righteous God who has laid down the rules and he deals with you in love, even though it may be a tough time or something that you go through. The second thing, a divine sentence. Your Bible is made up of 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,171 verses. They all come down to sentences, divine sentences. Every sentence, every word in that Bible is divine of God. It's given to us by God. Everything is just the way God wants us to have it. It's inspired by God. The Bible is God's absolute standard. His judgments are fixed. His word is truth, and there's no mistakes or no mixture of error in any of it. It's a divine sentence in the lips of the king. Verse 10, in reference to verse 9, when we just looked at, God's way is the only way. His principles, we talk about his patterns, are not open to debate. They're not open to discussion. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they weren't called the Ten Suggestions. They were given to Moses by God, and God said, this is what you do. I, 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 have a, I don't know where it started for sure, but it's certainly the theme of the Bible, this phrase that we see all the time, you know, it's my way or the highway. And that originally had to come from God because that's the way it is with God. It's his way or the highway. When God tells you this is a truth, this is an absolute truth, he's already looked at it and realizes that not following it, what it's going to lead to. He understands that if you don't do what he tells you to do, where you're going to wind up. Now, you see the same thing with, with a lot of you parents with a lot of your kids. You've lived life. You know going down this road is not a good road. They, they, don't, they don't see it, don't want to see it. They want to go down the road that they want to go down to. You try to talk with them, plead with them, fight with them, argue with them. Why do you do that? Do you do that because you just like to argue or you want to take from them a good time? No. You have lived long enough to know that the end result of the road they're going on is going to be a disaster. You're just trying to advert it. They probably won't listen to you unless you've really built a relationship with them. You should. But that's what we do. And God's way is His way. His principles, His patterns they're not open for our debating with him or our discussing them. They're absolute. God knows that if you go another way by your own devices of your own heart, where well, your life's going to wind up. But you know human nature. Boy, in people ministry, we've learned the patterns of human nature. We as human beings, we always think, we always think that we know better than any authority over us. We just do. And you see it all through the Bible. How many times do you think God told Adam and Eve about the perfect party that he had for them, the perfect uh, uh, situation he had for them? And he told them about the two trees. I know, I know you got it just one time in the Bible, but they heard that, they knew that. And you know what? In spite of that, they went and did what they wanted to do. You know why? Because they just thought they knew more about it than God did. I find Bible scholars who want to correct the Bible you kidding me? You're going to correct the Word of God, you, a human being? So you can tell other people, God didn't mean that word there. He really meant this word, but I'm, I'm close enough to God, or I am maybe God, so I'll correct His Word for you? You kidding me, right? You know why man does that? He thinks he's above God. He thinks he knows more about it than the authority of the Word of God. How about Abraham? God just said, hey, look, I'm going to give you a seed. But when his wife came in and said, take Hagar, he thought he knew more about it than God did. And where did that end it for him? In a mess. Look at David. Look at Solomon. Look at Paul. Paul was told three times not to go down to Jerusalem. God sent him three visions and dreams and people that said, don't go down to Jerusalem. Paul thought he knew more about it than, than God did. And it's so true. There's many of God's people in churches today that think they know more about it than when the pastor preaches. There's parents, your kids, 
Your kids growing up, you kiss your kids think you know more about life than you do. In school, we always thought we knew more than the teacher did. At work, right now, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, when you go back to work, last week, you know what? There's people at work that think they know more about the place than the, than the boss does. You pay $200 for a GPS that does everything for you. And when this woman with this god-awful voice comes on and keeps telling you which way to go, we paid $200 for it, there it is, and yet we think we know a shortcut. Human nature is incredible when it comes to authority. And when it comes to God and His absolute direction in our lives, we think we know better. Now, just like our GPS, we wind up in Denver when we wanted to go to St. Louis, spiritually speaking. Now, look at verse 11. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weight of the bag are His work. Now, this is a great verse. I'll tell you, there's some great concepts and words to study out of Proverbs. The concept of a bag. The concept of a good balance. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 says, Thou shalt not have in thy bag divers' weights, a great and a small. Now going back to verse 9, Here's the illustration and here's the principle that we're looking at. Let me lay it out for you. First of all, life is about two ways. Only two ways in life. Your way, which you devise in your own heart, and that'll get you out of balance. God's way, where the Lord directs you through the Holy Spirit of God, step by step, that'll give you perfect balance. And here's how it works, getting all the verses together. Verse 10 says, God's way and judgments are true. We will feel the effect of them when we do it our way and get out of balance. We'll get a divine sentence against us, a righteous judgment. Verse 11 says, life is a journey. And as you journey through life, you pick up things and put them into a bag, a pack, a rucksack. You see here in our own church, which is a great example. Here, 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 here's this is Maddie's. Here's Maddie's pack. You got a pack. They're all through here. You know what? Everything she knows about the Bible and God and she holds true and loves is in that pack. She carries it on her back. You guys carry yours in. Everything you ever learned about God and know about God, if it's in your Bible and in your notebooks, it's in the bag, the back, the bag that you carry. You see kids going to school all the time and they're carrying backpacks with them. Everything that they're learning in school that they're picking up from school and their teachers is in that pack, in that bag. And in life, we are carrying a bag this morning. And in that bag is everything we've ever learned, good and bad. And when in that bag, it's all, or the majority of it is good things, you got a good balance. In that bag, when everything you've got in there for the most part is bad things, then you're out of balance. When you fill up that bag with the things of the world, now your world gets out of balance. Your mind, your spirit, your attitude about everything. And it causes you to stumble and fall. Out of balance, out of balance will always get you off course with God in your walk with Him. Way back when, when I was in the Army, <clears throat> we went through a two-week survival school down in Florida in the Everglades. And uh, the bleachers down there where they would lecture you were right in the swamp. And uh, you always wanted to try to get there and try to get the upper uh, places uh, on the bleachers because you were only sitting in about that much water. If you were on the first one, you were sitting here. It all kind of, I mean, the worst swamp in Florida, I mean, there are snakes, there are bugs, there are, I mean, there's things crawling over your feet, you can't see what it is, the water is muddy, and some guy out there is lecturing to you how to survive. And they taught us how, that when you get lost and you have no idea where you are, they taught us how to navigate. 
It really was one of the best classes I've ever had in life. I still remember. In fact, I don't play. I don't to this day. I don't go someplace that I'm straight. That I'm not just automatically looking for these things. But here's what they said: you never do. He says you never start walking and follow your sense of direction, which is the first thing every human being has. You know why? Going back to human nature, we think we know more about it than anybody else. So here we are no landmarks, out in the desert, out in some place, barren, and we want to get to back to where we can get to, uh, to safety. So what do we do? We follow our gut. We follow our instinct. He says, you never, never do that. You never just start walking and follow your sense of direction because you will wind up walking in a complete circle and you'll go right back to where you started. And the reason being, right now in your body and my body, we're out of balance. If you're right-handed, your right hand is stronger than your left. Your right leg is stronger than your left. If you're left-handed, your left hand is stronger and your right left leg is stronger than your right. So every time you don't see it, you don't, it doesn't even come into play. But every time you take a step, if this is your strong leg you're a half an inch off straight. And you keep walking for 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, you'll keep pulling to the right, and pretty soon you'll come right back into a circle and cross your tracks again because you're out of balance. You can't navigate that way. You can't trust yourself that way. You need a fixed position to work from, either on the horizon or from the sun and the uh, the stars. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So you know where the sun's up, you're heading east. You know when it's going down this way, it's west. You can, know, get, you can get, uh, uh, north and south based off of that. Or at nighttime, you understand the stars. And you follow, you navigate that way. Now, it's the same thing in your journey in life. You can't follow your instincts. You can't just pick up things in life that you think look good and put into your bag. You need to have your life fixed on something that is unmovable. The Bible will be our compass to direct you and your steps through life. You never trust your own judgment. You'll just come right around in a circle in life and it'll be a dead end street. How many times have you and I seen Men and women who would not listen to anything the preacher said, would not listen to anything about the Bible, and yet their life is just seemingly one endless disaster after another. You know why? Because they're devising in their own heart, they're going after their own way, and they're out of balance. In navigation, it's much like it is in life. Most people don't know this, but if you're navigating by a compass or you're navigating to a a fixed point and you're using a compass or the stars, there are two norths. And most people are not even aware of that. There's two norths you can follow. But in life, there's two ways you can follow. One is magnetic north, and that'll be with your compass. Magnetic north is based on the, uh, the, the, the north pole. That's based on the magma down inside the center of the earth, where hell's at, by the way. And, uh, and it, it, it creates this great magnet force at the poles that your compass will always point toward the north pole. But the problem with that is that magnetic north changes. Just like the false religions of this world that you think are going to get you to heaven, but they're always changing. There are times within a year that magnetic north can be as much as 27 to 30 miles off. Do you realize how a 30-mile mistake and a 3,000-mile journey will throw you off? Well, you'd pass the whole city of New York and never even see it. Magnetic north is movable. It's like the world. It shifts. It shifts based on the, the, the magma core of the earth. No, no, you never, you never can trust in a critical situation magnetic north. There'll be times that you'll be in the desert surrounded with mountains and there's so much 
iron ore or uranium in those mountains, your compass will just spin. Magnetic north will get you in a direction of north, but it won't get you to true north. Because true north, which is the other north, isn't based on anything on this world. It's based on the stars. And we know who made the stars, don't we? And they're fixed. They're dead on. Now, you as a Christian, you want to get your proper coordinates in life so know which way you're going? You want to get your dead reckoning based on a fixed position? Go to Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, or Job chapter 26, verse 7, or Psalm chapter 48, verse 2. There you'll find the Christian's true position on everything on this earth. Job chapter 38, verse 8, uh, uh, 38, verse um, 30, I think it is. It talks about the ordinances of heaven. There's seven of them. You want a complete coordinate setup and a complete directional setup of everything in life? Follow those ordinances. So as a child of God, you go with God's direction in life. And that direction will be a fixed, true north. Not based on the world's north, which will throw you off, but fixed on the stars, Polaris. One degree off of Polaris is dead true north, which is defined for you in the Bible. Up past Alpha Draconis, the great dragon in the sea, Isaiah 27, 1. And as a child of God, you always keep your coordinates fixed. You always know your direction is steady and never movable. It doesn't shift with the world like magnetic north. It stays absolutely true because it's true north. And you'll never get off track. They told me down there in Florida, if you can do it, do it two ways. Do it by the stars during the day or at night. And today, keep your eyes fixed on the horizon. And you know what? That was 40-some years ago in my life. And I want to tell you today, my Christian life is based on the same things I learned down there at that Air Force base in the middle of Okefenokee swamps. You know what my Christian life is every day? Keep my course fixed on the stars and always keep looking for him coming on the horizon. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Next thing, now look at this word bag. That's a great study in the Bible. In the Bible... You'll find a bag, different ways to study. It's incredible. I, I, I have a sermon I preach. I never preach it to you guys. But I have a sermon I preach on the three things for us that God keeps. And it's a great sermon. Quite incredible sermon. Not because I preach it, but just because it's the way it's found in the Bible. There's three things that God keeps for you. And most of God's people have no idea. First of all, Psalm 56 verse 8. Bible says that God has a bottle for your tears. Now, you realize that? And at the judgment seat of Christ, you know what God's going to do? He's going to reach up and take that bottle down. And, you know, he's going to turn that bottle upside down. And every teardrop that comes out is going to open up and speak to what it was shed for. How about a bottle that's completely empty? How about a bottle when the tears come out? You, pr- you cried over some sitcom. You cried over the bachelorette when she got dumped. You cried over this. You got cried over that. What if when your bottle there's no tears that have been wept for lost people or people who are struggling with the things of God? God got a bottle for your tears. Second thing is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says God's got a book for your thoughts. You think the Holy Spirit of God living inside you is just, you know, uh, just kind of there for, um, for show. Uh-uh. He's got a notebook. He's writing every thought you had down. And the third thing over there in Job chapter 14, verse 17, and this is where I want to get to, Bible says that he's got a bag for my transgressions. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. That is the greatest news I ever heard in my life. 
God took all of my transgressions the day I got saved. God took all of my iniquity and he put them in a bag and he sealed them up. And you know what? If you went to heaven right now, you couldn't find that bag to open it up if you wanted to. These people that worry about losing their salvation. You know why? You know why you can't lose it? Because it's up there in the bag. It's sealed. Now, if you could get up there in heaven and rummage around like you do at a garage sale and find your bag and open it up, then you'd have some problems. Yeah. You ain't ever going to find it. He took your filthiness, your ungodliness, my filthiness, my ungodliness, and he opened up the bag and he put him in that bag and then he sealed that bag. And I guarantee you, he dumped it up in heaven in the deepest part of the sea of a great deep and nobody will ever bring him up again. God got a bottle for your tears. He's got a book for your thoughts. He's got a bag for your transgressions. That's a good way to study it. Now you take that word bag. You carry stuff in bags. That word is a great word study within the Bible. You go on vacation. You go on a trip. I guarantee you, you folks came down here from Lincoln. You, you pack the bag. Our guys come to church. They pack a bag. And as I said, as you journey through life, you pick up things and you put them in a bag. Some good things, some bad things. Things that you really need. And then there'll be some things that you just think you really need. You meet the dream of your life, female. You meet Mr. Right in your life. You bring him into me and I sit down and talk with him and, you know, and, and they... They, we, they leave and we discuss it and you say, well, what do you think? You think I should follow them? And I say to you, well, I don't know. They got a lot of baggage. See where it goes? How much baggage do you got today? We had a lady at church one time was married nine times. That's some baggage. That's a lot of baggage. <laughs> you see, when you have a life of keeping good things and not picking up bad things, then you have a good balance in, in the load you carry through life. One of the things that discipleship does that's so important in every church is it not only gives you the first 10 steps, but you know what it does? I always tell you that it's a lot like you being a border guard or a customs agent. When you go down, when you come from another country and you fly into New York or you go, you got to go through customs. And if they're doing their job, they'll bring you into a thing up there and a customs agent will make you open up your suitcase and he'll go through. And there are certain things you can't bring in. There are certain things you buy, you have to pay a duty on over here. Or there are certain things that are illegal. You can't bring some plants in. You can't bring any animals in. You can't bring any bugs in. And so they will go through and everything, and they'll say, okay, you can go through. Oh, no, no, you got to get rid of this. you got to get rid of that. You know what? In discipleship, some of God's people come into this church, and they've been in bad churches or stupid churches or gotten some bad teaching someplace, and you know what has to be done? Somebody has to go through their baggage. That's what discipleship does. First one, salvation, eternal security. You can keep this, can't keep this. We talk about baptism. We talk about the Word of God. We talk about the Holy Spirit of God. We talk about the first 10 steps of Christianity in its most basic form. And that thing serves a purpose to go through where you've been in life. Find out what's in your bag. Find out if you've got some bad doctrine. Find out if you've got some bad teaching. Try to help you out. Get through it. And that's exactly what happens. And you, when you have a bag that you carry through life that is out of balance, that at the end of your life, you know what? It's worthless. It's empty as far as spiritual things. It's full of worldly stuff, completely out of balance. And going through your bag and looking, asking yourself, what is in my bag today? What is the content of my bag that I'm carrying through life? Is it good? Is it souls? Is it verse cards? Is it principles? Is it a prayer, uh, uh, you know, prayer life? Is it, is it patterns? Is it family? Is it kids serving the Lord together? Is it spiritual fatness? Is it blessings beyond belief? Are you an oasis in a desert of this world? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. He says, my, my, my burden is light. You know Why? 
because it's balanced. And I want to tell you something. A balanced load is always easier to carry than an unbalanced load. When you go out to KCI and you're going to fly someplace, you know what they do? They want to get the best fuel economy. They want to get the best out of everything, so they balance out the plane. They know how much luggage they got. They will space you in the plane that will balance the plane. They, could you imagine trying to take off with everybody in the front? You try to land with everybody in the back? No, they disperse you. They balance it out. <laughs> in early World War I, when the U-boats were just getting started, and they had to crash dive. They didn't have the technology we got today. They had about 60 guys on those little German U-boats. And when they had to crash dive, everybody had to run to the front. Put weight in the nose so it would go down. When they wanted to come up, everybody had to run to the back. Is what you got in your bag good stuff or is it bad? Is it strife, bad marriages, bitterness, anger? Fighting with your kids all the time, battling with your spouse, anxiety, depression, disappointment, failure in life, heartache, tragedy. Hey, I've seen some of God's people get disgruntled and go to church after church after church. And they can't find any satisfaction or peace anywhere. They'll go for two or three months, then they're off to another church. They'll go through four or five churches. And they'll blame their issues on everything and everybody, and they'll never figure out that they see and face the real problems every morning when they look in the mirror. It's them, and they're out of balance. And I want to tell you something. The older you get, the worse you get, because the weight that you keep adding on to try to carry gets so out of balance, and it gets so heavy. Honey, does this dress make me look big? No, dear, but wow, do you have a big bag? <clears throat> so many marriages just like that. She looks great, but boy, is there a lot of baggage. Is there a lot of baggage? I'm telling you. The book of Haggai. One of my favorite books in the Bible. Now, here's another concept of a bag. I want you to see some of them today. The book of Haggai, its context is Ezra and Nehemiah. After they go back from the 70 years captivity and begin to rebuild the city of God, the temple of God. And they, they begin to build, and then they stop building. And when Haggai writes... The temple of God has now stood idle for 16 years. The word of God has lied dormant. Nobody's doing anything. Haggai, the prophet of God, shows up and takes them to task on not finishing the work that God had started with them 16 years ago. You see, the people have procrastinated and their obligation to build the temple of God. Haggai is an incredible picture of modern-day Christianity. Filled with men and women who stopped, started building their temple with God, and then they just quit. Look at Haggai chapter 1, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now look at that. You see that? If that isn't a picture of what God going on today in modern day Christianity, I don't know what is. You see that thing? Verse 2 says, the people are saying, Oh, it's not time for me to build anything for God yet. Verse 4, Haggai says, oh, yeah, it is. There's the battle right there. What God wants you to do and build in your life or what you think you want to do and build in your life. There it is. God had a plan for them to build the temple of God. Absolutely key to Israel's success. God has a plan for you and for me. Building our temple one step at a time, that is absolutely key for our success. 
Not only did they stop building the temple, but now they're taking the same material that God provided to build his house and they're building their own houses with them. And he says in verse 5, consider your ways. You know what their problem is? Their problem is the problem of classic human nature. They think they knew more about building than God did. And at this time, Israel's as broke, as busted as they ever, ever will be. At this time, Israel is as empty spiritually as they ever will be. Their bag is filled with iniquity and all the junk of this world. And God makes reference to the bag that they're picking up stuff and putting in their lives, their bag that carried them through life. Look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. You have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but ye are not none warm. And he, earned, he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. There's your life at the end, going your way. You see, they never have enough. They can't get enough. They can't drink enough. And they earn wages going through life. And they put it in a bag that they're going to carry through life, but the bag's full of holes. And at the end of their life, they are empty. And when you go your way and put the stuff in your bag of this world, at the end of your life, you're empty. Bag with holes. Everything fell out. Now it's 60, 70, 80. You have nothing. You have to face all the uncertainty now. You have to face an eternity without God now. You have to look and experience and face everything that is out there. Both physically and spiritually. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 11 says, that's a good verse, 1611. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. You bet they are. And when we get out of balance, do your own thing, then there's your work. There's your works. And your bag might be worth, it's got a hundred holes in it. Because there will leave you empty and destitute just like Israel in the book of Haggai. The Bible says in Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And I want to tell you something. God always pays for what he orders. Whether it's in your life, whether it's in a church, whether it's whatever you do in your Christian life. If God ordered it in your life, then God will pay for it. If God ordered it, then he'll sustain it. If God ordered it, then he will make the provision for it. And when he doesn't, then we have to pick up the tab ourselves. And brother, it can be a costly tab sometimes. Life is so simple. The Christian life is so simple. A life of your way with our devices, what we want to do, picking up through life and sticking all the stuff in a bag that we think is so valuable. Your heart devising our own way <coughs> over God's direction for his steps in our life. And at the end of our lives, looking into the bag and saying, wow, it's empty. The anticipation of how many people <coughs> anticipated all of their life to get their retirement. They couldn't wait. They worked hard and they wanted to get retirement and they went to 65 and then to 66 and then to 67 and finally it's somewhere in there they retired. And when they retired, the illusion evaporated that life was going to be wonderful now because they're empty. They have problems in their health. They have problems in their family. They have problems in their finances. All the things, all the illusion that they were going all through life, they were putting in their bag. Get this, get this, get this. Oh, when I retire, I'm going to have it all. And then when retirement came, you looked in the bag and you picked it up and you looked at the hole. The bottom was gone. And you're empty. There is no replacing in your life and my life the steps that are ordered by God for you. Amen. There is no replacing the Holy Spirit of God leading and guiding you into all truth. There is no replacement for the Holy Spirit of God walking along your side, showing you in life what is of God and what is not of God so you don't get a lot of dumb stuff in your bag. And as Haggai said to Israel, I say to you, 
What's in your bag today? Consider your ways. God's direction in our life, he gives us all we need to do the job. Our devised plan <clears throat> takes all he gives us and we just use it for ourselves. And when we do, then God has a divine sentence and he has to deal with us. God says it's time to build your temple, Israel. Israel said, ah, no, it's not time for me. Life is really simple, folks. You go through life with a bag. You pick up the good stuff and put it in. It balances out, and you carry it through life. You pick up the bad stuff, put it in. It weighs you down to the point where it just grinds you to death. It's either your way or it's going to be God's way. Well, we'll hold up there today. Let me.